called Y Cross Church. It's all about our logo, what we stand for. And the exciting thing about this logo is that you'll be able to take this and you'll have a constant reminder of who you are, first of all, as, a, as a, an attender or a member of this church. But more importantly, you'll have a reminder of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so you'll notice that the, that the part in our logo that makes up part of the cross, can we have that light on here? Is there a trick to this? This represents life. Green, as most people know, is, is a universal color for life. And if there's anything that represents the Christian message, it's the word life. In fact, if there's a word that described who Jesus is and why Jesus came, it could be summed up in one word, life. In fact, life for you and me is Christ's crowning achievement. And so last week we talked about the ichthys, and by the way, ichthys is a Greek word for fish. And if you take each of the letters of the word uh, for fish in Greek, which is ichthys, those letters spell the word Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. This was the first symbol of the Christian faith. In fact, before anybody ever used a cross, it was the fish that was used. And as we mentioned last week, people were persecuted for following Jesus Christ. And so the way that people would discover whether or not a person was an actual believer or not is that if they, uh, you know, they met somebody new, they'd walk up to them and just sort of with their foot make, a, make an arch in the sand. And if the person was standing beside them saw that arch created, then with their foot they would create the bottom half of the arch to make the fish. Well, the fish that we have here is, is stylized, and you're going to see why in, in just a, a few weeks. But it represents who we are. It identifies who we are. We are identified by our belonging to Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. We acknowledge our relationship to him. We acknowledge that we belong to him. And you'll notice the circle around the fish representing the world. We are in the world, but we're not of it. And last week when we were talking about this, we, we came to the conclusion that this means that we need to be holy. We need to be holy in this world, set apart for Christ, set apart for God's purpose. And so I, I just want to ask the question to you this morning, is your life set apart for God's purpose? Are you living for Jesus? You see, that's why God gave you life. He gave you life. He gave you new life to bring glory to his name so that his purpose could be fulfilled in your life and that his purpose could be, filled, uh, could be fulfilled in this world through you. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to uh, look at these words spoken by Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12. Let's take a look at this. And Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Again, let me just, let me just underscore this. Let me just restate this. If you're going to understand Christianity, if you're going to understand the Bible when you read it from Genesis to Revelation, you need to understand that God's purpose is to restore life to us, to give us life. And so this morning, let's take a look at the life that Jesus gives us. Now, I want to just say this before I go any further. 
I know that most of you here today have been in church most of your life. Most of you have gone to church, you've heard sermons, uh, many of you have read your Bible, some have even read the Bible from cover to cover, and I say congratulations to you for that. But what I want to do today is I want to review what most of you already know. But as I review it, I don't want you to shut down and say, oh, I already know this stuff, I've already heard this, Pastor. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take this opportunity as I review the ancient truth, the ancient way, the way that's been handed down now for 2,000 years, what I'm praying that you'll do is that you will find yourself rejoicing in the truth, the truth, folks, that has set us free, the truth that has given us life. So then let's take a look at the life that Jesus gives us. The very first thing we recognize is that Jesus has come that we may have new life. Now, what do we mean by new life? Before I go any further, let me just say this. Last week, we talked about what Christians do. We, we live holy lives. We, we make decisions based on whether or not it will be uh, pleasing to Jesus Christ, whether or not it's in obedience to Jesus Christ. We make decisions to live in the world, but not of the world. So we talked about what, it, what we do as Christians. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about who we are. Someone once said to me uh, when they saw how busy I was, Alan, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. I thought that was pretty clever. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. Well, I'm going to talk to you what it means to be a Christian being today. We talked about last week what we do as believers. Today we talk about who we are as believers. And the very first thing you recognize is that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a new creation. The very first thing that you receive from Christ when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want you to rejoice in this this morning, is that you have new life. Does everybody understand the significance of that? The Bible says that to to the one who has been forgiven much, loves much. The one who has been forgiven much for their sins appreciates what Jesus Christ has done for, for them. I want to ask you the question today. Where would you be today if you had not received the new life in Jesus Christ? Have you thought about that lately? Where would you be? What would your life be like? What would your marriage look like? What would your family look like? How many marriages would you be, have you gone through? You see what I'm saying? When you, when you received your new life in Christ, it was a game changer for you. It, was a, it meant a new, a new world, a new life. Now, to fully understand this, what we have to do, and you've heard me talk about this before, what we have to do is we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. And you've heard me say this. Genesis chapter 3 is the chapter that un- unlocks all the mysteries of life, why we are we, the way we are, why we do what we do, um, why, uh, why our marriages struggle, why we have problems in our, in our family, uh, why we personally struggle in life. Genesis chapter 3 unlocks that door. So what I want you to do is I want you to think for a moment about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, they've, they've been given the Garden of Eden, they've been given everything. And God said, it's yours, it's yours to enjoy Go and knock yourself out. But by the way, one thing you must not do, you must not eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on that day that you eat that fruit, you will surely die. Well, of course, you know the story. Adam and Eve say, are told, don't eat the fruit. And so that's, of course, exactly what they do. How many know as parents that when you tell your kids not to do something, then that's the very thing they're going to go do? 
Yeah, so here's, here's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They went and did exactly what God told them not to do. Now, Satan comes along and he says, you know what, you don't have to listen to God. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because Satan still uses the same ploys. He still tells the same lies. You don't have to listen to God. You can do what you want. God loves you. There's lots of grace. How many have heard that? Lots of grace. You can do whatever you want. God will forgive you and everything's going to be okay. And it wasn't. There was consequences for their sin. Now, what you need to understand is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you did receive new life. And with that new life came a brand new way of living. Well, let's get back to Adam and Eve. So here's Adam and Eve in the garden. They eat the fruit. Satan says, you're not going to die. Well, they didn't die. They didn't drop dead instantly. But something began to happen inside of them. They died spiritually. And with the death of, of, of their spirit also came their eternal death. And they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. You know the story. And next thing you know, what happens? They start having trouble in their marriage. And as soon as God comes along and says, Adam and Eve, what happened? Well, you know, Eve blames the serpent and Adam blames Eve and Adam blames God for giving Eve to him in the first place. God says, all your fault if you hadn't given me her. I wouldn't be in this predicament, right? And Eve blames God for creating this serpent. And, and you know the story. The marriage breaks down. The family breaks down. And then part of the curse, as you read it in Genesis chapter 3, is God says that you will have to toil now for your food. You will, have to, you will have to break a sweat. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be tough. That's part of life under the fall. Jesus came to this earth for the express purpose of reversing what happened in Eden. So this is why you need to understand what's in the Old Testament. Some people say, you don't need the New Testament. Yeah, you do. You don't need the, we don't need the Old Testament. Yeah, you need to understand the Old Testament because Jesus interprets what the New Old Testament's all about. He explains. The, it says in Hebrews that the Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. So we, we get our theology, folks, from the New Testament. And the Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. There's a little bit of a theology lesson for you. So the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Ephesians chapter 2, 1. So Paul says, here's, here's what you are before you become a Christian. You're dead. You're a walking corpse. And you need new life. You need to come to life. So here's the thing. Jesus comes to this earth and gives you and I brand new life. He brings us back to life. Now, yes, we will still die physically, but we have new life spiritually. And someday, the Bible says, you and I are going to receive a new body. And for me, I say hallelujah. <laughs> Anybody with me on that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, amen, amen. The Bible tells us in, Gen uh, in John chapter 3 that one night after dark, a rabbi by the name of Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee, he's a Jewish leader, a teacher. He's, he's too afraid to approach Jesus in daylight. He doesn't want anybody to know. He wants to go sort of incognito. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, um, we know, or rabbi, we, we all know uh, that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So he's, he's, he's engaging Jesus. He doesn't really know what to ask. He doesn't know what question to ask. And Jesus replies 
to his comment like this. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, in case you don't know, is, in fact, the Christian life. It's, it's the church. It's what the church is. It's what the church does. You can't be part of the kingdom of God. You cannot be a Christian, Jesus says, unless you're born again. Nicodemus scratches his head, and he, I mean, he's clearly stumped by this. What do you mean, Jesus? What could you possibly mean by that? That didn't make any sense. He says, are you telling me at my age I'm going to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus throws in a, a zinger there, and it says, look, you're a teacher of the law, and you can't figure this stuff out. Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Jesus goes on to say this, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now, because this is what you need to understand about becoming a Christian, is that you received the Holy Spirit when you were born again. This new life that you have has been supercharged, empowered by God. You have the Spirit dwelling within you. And here's how I know what a person has been born again. Is they talk about the old self, the person before they were born again. They talk about that person as though it were another person. And in fact, they're right. When I hear somebody say, you know, before I was a Christian, I used to do this, I used to do that, or they'll say, the old Alan used to do this, and the old Alan had a bad attitude, and the old Alan would lie and cheat and steal. But since I've been born again, I'm a, I'm a new creation. Exactly. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. Now let the Spirit of God thrill your heart this morning. You're a brand new creation. You've got new life. That's what Cross Church is all about. We are about introducing people to the new life that comes through Christ. That's why we go, uh, we have our kids club. This is why we invite people to church every Sunday. This is why I encourage you to come to church every Sunday. This is why we go on missions trips. Why? Because we've got a message, and the message is life, new life through Jesus Christ. And when you became a believer, folks, you were born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So, folks, listen to me. This is, this is an important theological doctrine. We call it the doctrine of sanctification and the doctrine of justification. So here's what happens when you be, become born again. When you are sanctified, what happens now is God takes you and he places you in a brand new place and says, now you belong to me. Now you are set apart for my purposes. You don't live any way you want. You don't do whatever you want. Now you serve me and you serve me alone. Now, some people say, well, that sounds like slavery. Can I just remind you of something? Bob Dylan, years ago, wrote a letter. You got to, uh, wrote a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. I'm gonna tell you this. You're either serving God or you're serving the devil. <laughs> Plain and simple as that. And if any of you has ever uh, has, has gone for any length of time in your life without Christ, you know what I'm talking about. Your life, is experienced, you've experienced misery, you've experienced, well, you don't want to tell the story. It's just too shameful. It's too dark. It's too difficult. But when you were born again, you were set apart for God's purposes. You were made pure. You were made holy. And God did that. He did that by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, which we're going to talk about next week. 
Let's talk about this new life that's ours through Christ. So not only are you sanctified, and sanctified is just a fancy way of saying you've been made holy, you've been set apart for God. What does sanctify mean? To be set apart for God. Justified, now this is an amazing theological teaching that you need to understand. Justification means this. God not only says your sins are forgiven, but now God sees you as someone who has never sinned before. Did you hear that? You think of your past. You think of your sins. You think of the horrible things that you've done in your lifetime. You think of the, the ways that you have, have failed God and failed your wife and failed your children and failed people in your life. You think of those shameful things that if anybody ever knew about it, you would be absolutely mortified. You would go and hide. Here's a beautiful thing about becoming a Christian. You, when you receive this new life in Christ, folks, hallelujah, you are justified as though you'd never sinned before. That's how God sees you. Hallelujah. Anybody with me on this? As though you had never sinned. As though you'd never done those things. Why? Because the old you is dead and you are a brand new creation. You are now what we call being alive in Christ. This is who you are. You are in Christ. Which means when God looks at you, now this blows me away. When God looks at Alan Duncalf, God does not see Alan Duncalf's hearts. He does not see Alan Duncalf's old ways. He does not see uh, uh, anything about me. He sees Jesus Christ. You need to understand that. You need to understand who you are in Christ. You're a brand new creation, folks. And the benefits of this new life means, first of all, you're going to get a new body when you get to heaven. You're going to live forever. It means you become part of the family. Okay? You're not part of our family here until you're born again. And when you're born again, guess what? Hank, you became my brother. You're my older brother. Amen. My much older brother. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. When you become part of the family of God, you, you now have the ability the privilege of referring to God, calling God your Father. And I'm going to tell you, again, you've heard me say this before, this is absolutely new teaching. Never in the history of mankind has anybody ever come along and declared that God is now your Father. But Jesus did that. When you become a brand new believer, you now have the privilege of, being, of calling God your Father. We call this having the spirit of sonship or or daughtership, if you will. The old you is dead. You've got a, you're, there's a brand new you. You have the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and now who leads you. Now, you remember we sang this uh, uh, maybe last week or week before, I can't remember. Remember I said this. I said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes to dwell within you, helps you in your decision-making. And all of us make thousands of decisions every day. And the question is this, will you make the right decision? And the thing is, is it on your own you can't? Remember I said that? With, with man it's impossible, but with God it is, all things are possible. Why? Because the Spirit of God is dwelling in you and he's helping you continually make the right decision in your life. How many know that if you keep making right decisions, it's going to have a dramatic influence on your lifestyle and how you live your life? We call this the abundant life. So we receive new life, and then Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that you might have life, and have it how? More abundantly. So it just keeps getting better and better. 
you receive new life. And then Jesus says, it's not just new life you get. You get an abundant life. What do we mean by abundant life? Well, folks, can I just, I don't do this very often, but I got to refer to the Greek here because it's so fantastic. How many know that the Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek? And so here's what it says. Jesus says, um, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In the Greek, here's, here's a literal translation of it. I came that, they, that life they may be having and excessive, super abundantly they may ha- be having it. Not just abundant, folks, super abundant, excessive. Let me just give you some of the translations that we could use for that word abundance. It's, again, that Greek word perisosos. Listen to this. Superabundance, excessive, overflowing, surplus, over and above, more than enough, profuse, extraordinary, above the ordinary, more than sufficient. Folks, this is what God wants for you and for me. When you and I make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you, not just, you don't just receive new life, you receive the abundant life. What does that mean for you and me? Well, before I, before I go even one step further, i got to just tell you what verse 11 says. How many know that so often we cherry-pick verses out of the Bible, but we don't see the verses around them, and they're equally as important? How many know that? So verse 10, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But then verse 11, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So in order for you and I to have this abundant life, The good shepherd, Jesus Christ, had to give his life for you and me. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart now, folks. This is the faith that you and I have. You can see very quickly that we don't just belong to a club here. We're talking about something supernatural, something divine, something that looks too good to be true. And most of the times I would say if something looks too good to be true, it probably is. But folks, this is one of the things It's not too good to be true, but is too good to be true. Listen to me. Here's what God wants for you. And the way that that we need to understand this is, again, by going back to the Garden of Eden. Remember I told you about that. It unlocks everything. So here's, here's Adam and Eve. They have got it very good. God made everything for them. God declares in, uh, in Genesis chapter 1 that everything is very good. And, and then the Bible says he gave it all to Adam and Eve. It's all yours. An abundance. Everything you could possibly want is yours. There's only one thing you can't touch, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that. But everything, virtually everything else is yours. We're talking, folks, about excess. We're talking about super abundance. We're talking about every need being met. And you know the story. Adam and Eve, they're not happy that God held back one thing. And I want you to know something this morning. You sometimes think, you know, God's holding back on me. But here's what you need to understand, is that God has his reasons and has his purposes. And what God wants to know today is, are you willing to obey him? Because the very basis, the very foundation of the abundant life is obedience to God. And here's where Adam and Eve fell short. They refused to obey God, and so you know the story. They lost it all. They lost that superabundant life that was theirs before the fall. And they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Their marriage is on the rocks. Their son, Cain, kills Abel. They're expelled from God's presence. They no longer have fellowship with the Father. 
Now there's a permanent separation between God and man. Now I'm going to tell you something this morning. C.S. Lewis, um, one, of the, one of the great thinkers and writers of the last century, one of my favorite authors, in fact, here's what he says hell will be like. Hell will be a place where mankind, where humankind are permanently cut off from the presence of God, never, ever allowed to come to God ever again, and no remedy for the separation. Now, for those of you who haven't done a lot of thinking about this, doesn't sound like a big deal. You think, well, you know, I could cope with that. I'm living that like, like that right now. But hold on a minute. Do you know that in the hearts of every human being, and you've heard me say this before, is a God-shaped hole that only God could fill? C.S. Lewis suggests that hell will be a place where, that's, where that hole can never be filled, where you will never be satisfied, where you will never be able to find anything to satisfy the very longings of your soul. And that's a choice that people will make. I think whatever hell is, that certainly will be part of it. Totally and forever separated from your creator, from the one that loves you. Folks, when you, when you gave your heart to Christ, the abundant life meant that you had access to the Father once again. Once again, you could come with, with, with your prayer requests, with your needs, with your pain, with your sorrow, with your hurt. In those moments when you're feeling lonely, you can cry out to God. And you can enjoy the fellowship and the presence of Almighty God. This is the abundance, abundant life. Jesus came to reverse what happened in, in the Garden of Eden. And folks, listen to me. The abundant life means that when you live according to the teachings and the guidance and the instruction of the Holy Spirit, it means that God, God will make it possible for you to have a great marriage. It means God will make it possible for you to have a great family life. It means that God will make it possible for you to do well in your job, that you will have your needs met, that God will provide for you, that you will know a freedom of the guilt and the shame that you had before you knew Christ. This is the abundant life. Listen to these scripture verses. These are absolutely thrilling. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And here's what God says to the prophet, to a people who now are under the discipline of God and who are wondering, where is God? I thought God loved me. I, why is God allowing these terrible things to happen to me? Here's what God says to the people of Israel. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Folks, that's what God wants for us. This is who you are in Christ, a people who have a hope, a people who have a future, a people who experience things go well. You discover a God who is with you and never fails you. Philippians 4.19, Paul says this, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This is the abundant life. This is who you are, and this is where God wants you to live. And so here's, here's what I want to say to you today, because some of you are saying, well, okay, um, how do I put this into practice, Pastor? Okay, very simply. If things aren't going, in your, going right for you right now, if things are not where they need to be in your life right now, then this may be God tapping you on the shoulder. This may be a wake-up call. This may be God saying, hey, I'm, tr I'm trying to get your attention here. You are, you're my son. You're my daughter. I intended better for you. 
I intended more for you. Your marriage should not be in trouble. Your family life should be fantastic. You shouldn't be struggling in your job. You should be knowing the, my provision in your life. If you're not experiencing this, folks, this is a wake-up call from God, and God's saying, look, it's time for you to turn back to me, get your eyes back on me, and let me help you so that you can enjoy the abundant life that's, that is your inheritance, people. Listen to me. This is yours. Some people think, well, you know, you know, some are lucky they get it, and they get to have the abundant life, and I'm one of those that has forced to suffer. Listen to me. This is wrong. There is suffering, folks, but listen to me. In the midst of the sufferings of this world, there is the very presence of God that guarantees you joy and peace so that whatever you're going through, you are content and you're happy. Does this make sense this morning? I'm not suggesting for one moment that that you're going to experience only heavenly experiences. We are living on planet Earth, and this, this world, as everybody knows, is subject to decay. And if you haven't noticed in our culture, it's on the downward spiral. There's a spiritual declension, folks, and it's happening at a, at a rapid rate. And sometimes we experience the consequences of this world. But here's what I know, is that in the midst of all of this, all the struggles and the problems of this world, I have Jesus. And he has promised never to leave me and never to forsake me. He has promised to walk with me. And in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, you can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And this is why the Apostle Paul is able to say, whether I live as Christ or if I die, it's gain. It doesn't matter because I belong to God and it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm his. Wow, that's yours. That's your inheritance. That belongs to you. And you need to live in that abundant life because it's yours. That's who you are as a believer. You've got new life and you've got an abundant life. But folks, it gets even better. It gets even better than that. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life, have it more abundantly. And then we read in John chapter 17, verse 3. That Jesus has come to give us what? Eternal life. And Jesus says that this is eternal life, that they may know you and the one that you've sent. Folks, listen to me. When you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given the gift of eternal life so that you don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of whether you're in this life or the next. One of the wonderful things that I loved about my grandma Duncalf is that by the time she was about 70, early 70s, mid-70s, she began to develop a dementia. And although she, she, and, and she knew that she was struggling, she knew that she wasn't clear and that she was confused. But one of the things that she had, was able to cling to was Jesus. And in the midst of her dementia, in the midst of her struggle, she knew that God was with her. And then she began to say, you know what, I'm just about done with this old world, I'm ready to go home. And at first, of course, I didn't understand what she was talking about. I thought, you know, it's the dementia. <laughs> Go where, where, Grandma? Back to the town you were born in? Back to your mother's house? Your mom's gone now. She's not living anymore. And she looked at me as if I were crazy. <laughs> like, now, now who's got dementia? <laughs> she said, no, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go, go to be with the Lord. I'm done with this world. It's been a great life, but I want to go home now. My grandmother, what she didn't know is... 
She was teaching her young grandson not to be afraid of death. She was teaching her young grandson that to live as Christ, to die as gain, it doesn't matter. And she had such a confidence, such an assurance that it actually gave me a peace and it gave me a confidence. She passed on her assurance to me so that I felt the same way. I was ready to, to go to any mission field and I, and I told anybody who was interested, if they kill me, that's okay because I'm going to go and be with Jesus. Uh, now I don't want to die quite so quickly here, folks. Uh, <laughs> folks, what's waiting for us? Isaiah chapter uh, 64, verse 4 says this, No eye has seen and no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You don't need to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of dying. There's wonderful things waiting for you. And folks, it's so wonderful, I can't imagine it. Nobody here can describe it or explain it. That's how fantastic it is. And it's ours through Christ. God made it clear to Adam and Eve that if they disobeyed him, they would surely die. Do you know that this is why Jesus came to this earth? Was to give you a brand new life. To give you back the abundant life that Adam and Eve lost. And even more than that, to give you back the eternal life that God intended for you. You know, we were not created to die. I don't know if, if you understand that or realize it. God did not create us to die. But when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that's where death entered in. And we lost eternal life. Jesus has come. And he's restored that to us. And that's what Cross Church is all about. Cross Church is all about proclaiming that good news that you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You get to a certain, certain age. When you're young, you think you'll never die. You get to a certain age and you start thinking, well, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the last half the, I'm in, or the last quarter of this game. And you start thinking about the, re your, the reality that we will all face. Have you ever noticed that our culture tries to, to just completely ignore that? You don't want to go there. You don't want to talk about it. It's interesting that if you look at the early church, they talked about it a lot. Because most of the Christians in the early church were dying on a regular basis for their faith. They were being persecuted. They were being martyred. And there was no problem with it. They were like, I'm ready to go. Take me home. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. He has come that we may have eternal life. This is, your, this is the promise that's ours. And so listen to me. Because you've been given eternal life, because I've been given eternal life, look, at, look how it changes the game for us. We now are not living as temporal beings. We are living as eternal beings. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart because, listen, you're not living for what is temporal now. You are living for what is eternal. You're not laying up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and the thieves can get at it. You're laying up for yourself treasures. Why? Because we're eternal beings. And some of us, when we get to heaven, we're going to be in, in sad shape because we, we haven't sent anything ahead. We've laid up for ourselves treasures on, on earth, and you know, when it comes to retirement, we're going to do really good. But what about heaven? What's it going to be like for you? Listen, 
You're an eternal being. You're created to live with God forever. And I'm, I, I, I'll admit to you, it's a mystery to me. I don't understand all of it. But I do know this, that something within me says there's got to be more than what happens in this life. Some people say, well, why when I become a Christian, don't I just, or why when I'm born, why doesn't God just, you know, decide who's going to be a Christian, who's not going to be a Christian, send the ones that are going to be Christians, send them on to heaven, and the rest can just do whatever. I'll tell you why. Because when it comes to walking with God, when it comes to becoming a Christian, you and I have to make a decision. And God gives us a lifetime, the potential of a lifetime, to make a decision as to whether or not we're going to follow God or not. And if you're here today, God by his spirit has moved in you and given you the opportunity to make that decision whether or not you're going to serve God or not. Now, I just want to close with this. A lot of people, they, uh, they think, you know, I, I said the sinner's prayer, I'm going to church, good enough. Some people think, you know, all I need to do is join the club, become a member, I just have to attend church every Sunday, and that's good enough. I gotta tell you something, it's not. It's not good enough. Because the Bible is very clear that the road to destruction, the road to hell, is wide. And many travel on that road. Has anybody ever heard of Miley Cyrus? Yeah, okay, so for many years she was. Uh, and by the way, I say this, I say this not, uh, not, not with anything but, but, but true grief in my, in my heart. Miley Cyrus, a young, young lady, grew up in a Christian home, baptized in her Baptist church. Her mom and dad, believers at the time, and I, I don't know where they're at right now spiritually. They wanted their little girl to grow up and achieve great things. In fact, they called her, uh, I think, Destiny Hope. That was her real name because they believed that she was going to accomplish great things. She was going to do great things. She proclaimed her faith openly. In fact, if you go to, go to Wikipedia and look up Miley Cyrus, it says that she's a, she's a Christian. And uh, Justin Bieber, the same thing. It says practicing Christian. Miley Cyrus wore a purity ring when she was younger, signaling that uh, she was committed to practicing abstinence until she got married. She was considered a role model for young ladies. And whether you are familiar or up on pop culture or not, I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you the story of Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus grew up when she was just 16 years old, her parents let her have a boyfriend. I think it was 21 years old. She quickly became familiar with the ways of the world, and she loved her success. She loved her fame. Some estimate that her wealth is over, well over a billion dollars. We're talking big money, big fame. She, as an adult now, has got new new records she wants to break. She's got new goals. She doesn't want to be just one of the wealthiest women in the world. She, want to be, she wants to be one of the, the most famous in the world. And so recently she has released a video. And I'm not going to tell you all about it. If you know about it, fine. But I don't want to tell you about it because I don't want you to go look at it. 
But let me just let me just say this. It's a video of her singing a song and acting out the most vulgar acts, sexual acts that you could imagine. Somewhere along the line, Miley Cyrus decided that Jesus was not enough. Somewhere along the line, she decided that the abundant life that Jesus offered was not abundant enough. Somewhere along the line, she decided that the eternal life that Jesus Christ purchased for us with his own blood was not enough. And so she tweeted this. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded. Because the elements, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, all things that matter for evolution, weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in stars. So forget Jesus. Stars died so you can live. She did an about and a complete about face. The Jesus that she grew up with, somehow she felt she'd outgrown. And she's come to the conclusion that it's not Jesus who gives you life, it's the stars. I want to read to you a, a sobering verse. Look at this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. But the gateway to life is very narrow. Did you notice it has the word very in there? It doesn't just say narrow. It says very narrow. And the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Folks, in our logo is a pathway that leads to heaven. And it's very narrow. And it's a reminder to every one of us that this narrow road is a road that only a few find. And so here's what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning. It's time for us to examine our belief, examine our faith, examine our lives. To see whether or not we're in fact on that narrow road. To, to discover whether or not Jesus Christ is in fact all that we need. To examine whether or not there are children and grandchildren that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. There was a time when people prayed fervently for their lost children and their grandchildren and their brothers and sisters and parents. But somehow we have forgotten that we are all destined to face eternity. We have forgotten this, and we become caught up with the things that are temporal. What does temporal mean? It means something that is temporary. You and I are not temporary creations. You and I are eternal beings, created for life in Christ. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you this morning for the life that you've given us through Christ. And God, this morning, as, as we've been looking into your word, you've been reminding us of brothers and sisters, parents, children, grandchildren that don't know you, who have maybe abandoned you, who have forgotten you. God, I thank you for my grandparents who prayed faithfully for their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. 
God, I pray right now that you would do a special work in our hearts. And God, that you and I, that, that each and every one of us would understand that we've been created for life and to enjoy that new life, to enjoy that abundant life and to be not afraid of death because we have the gift of eternal life. Father, we pray this morning that this life that's ours in Christ would radically change the way that we live. And God, if we're not experiencing the abundance life, let us recognize it as a wake-up call to get back to God, to get on our knees, and to get our lives right with you. God, if we're afraid of death, if we're afraid of dying, help us, Lord, to understand that eternal life is ours through Christ. God, thank you for that new life that makes us part of the family of God. So God, we commit ourselves to you right now, thanking you for the life that's ours in Christ. God, help us to go proclaiming that good news to a broken and hurting world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Amen. Tell someone beside you, make sure you're going to heaven.